Okay, this morning our study continues in Hebrews chapter 2. Last week we ended by listening to a John MacArthur tape. John MacArthur, being ashamed of ourselves but not ashamed of the gospel. Maybe you had to discuss it. Those of you who were here, what did you think about that? I thought, I thought it made a lot of sense. I thought it was great. Um, I was talking to so Pete Morstead actually was talking to me about it yesterday because he was here helping clean. And he said he was over at the New Hope Center and he's just now, and I assume out of there, he's doing pretty good. But Pete was talking about that tape and he's. He said, you know, it's just the opposite of what all these counselors are saying. In other words, the counselors are saying, you've got to not, you got to get rid of your shame-based thinking, and you've got to get rid of your, you know, low self-esteem, and you got to start feeling better about yourself. And he said, the problem is it just doesn't work. But when you realize that if you're ashamed of your own sin, that's a good sign that you're willing to embrace the gospel. That's all, there's more hope in that. And uh, because now our, our hope is not in ourselves, you know, it's in the gospel. And so uh, if we feel ashamed of, of ourselves over different things, that's not so bad. But what would be really bad would be to be ashamed of Jesus and the gospel. <laughs> we're not ashamed of the gospel. So that's what Paul said. Let's stick with that. All right, we were in Hebrews 2. And we already studied verse 10, but I didn't... Uh, yeah, we looked up those cross-references, I think. So we're now in Hebrews 2.11. For both he uh, who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. And that's what we were talking about. The amazing thing is that, though certainly we would in ourselves have plenty to be ashamed about, uh, because of the gospel, because of forgiveness and the blood of Jesus that washes away all our sins, God himself, who is perfect in holiness, is not ashamed to call us his brothers and sisters. And that's an amazing statement of God's grace. And that's what we ended with, that's what the says. It's an amazing thing that God would not be ashamed to call us his brothers. So, he who sanctifies, who's he there? Jesus, the, the one who is the author of our salvation. The one who's bringing many sons to glory. That's Jesus. And he sanctifies. What does it mean to, that he sanctifies? Okay. Dan uh, said he washes away our sins. That's true. So that's the side. So that's a part for him. For a a sanctified would be to be made holy. The same word in the Greek means to be made holy. And holy... It has this conception of being fit for God's service. Alright? Especially in the Old Testament, the idea of holy versus profane. To be profane is not fit for God's service. To be holy is fit for God's service. So being made holy, those who are sanctified, that's Christians, are all from one Father. Now the word Father is not in the Greek, so literally it says they're all from one. And, but I think it implies that that were from God. Uh, so he doesn't 
hesitate to call us brothers. From one from all whom things are made, be Christ so that we be brought from one, even in Christ as a creator. God is a creator in terms of he's calling his brothers because he made us do things to do different things to me. Well, yeah, he is Christ, and being from one, he has to be somebody else, so it's probably his father. And, of course, there's a distinction, because Christ is eternal and not created, and we are not eternal. So in the sense that we're brothers would mean in the sense that uh, God is uniquely the Father of Jesus, and the only begotten of the Father, but in a different sense, he's our Father. Right? In more of a derived sense, in a different way. But enough so that we be called brothers. Okay. Well, I, let's look up some cross reference because I think he does, Jesus uses this terminology in some different places. Okay, the last shall be first, so the people in the back row get to go first here. Yeah. <laughs> Matthew 12, 48 to 50, and Mary, Matthew 25, 40. Carl, Luke 9, 26, and Skip, John 20, 17, and Norma, Hebrews 11, 16. Okay. Matthew 12, 48 through 50, he replied to him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister. Okay, so anybody doing the will of the Father is a brother or sister of Jesus. Alright, in a spiritual sense. That's a good thing. No shame to call us brothers. Matthew 25, 40. The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of Whatever you did for the least of these, my brothers, or these brothers of mine, you did for me. Um, and then Luke 9, 26. Yeah, that's that passage that John MacArthur was preaching on. If anybody's ashamed of him, then he'll be ashamed of us. So we don't want to be ashamed of Jesus and the gospel. Oh. What's there to be ashamed of? That's what What is there to be ashamed of? Well, the objective answer is nothing, but in many situations, there's a big temptation to. My appetite to be ashamed of Yeah, the world means too much to you. Or depending on where you live and at what time in history and in what culture, there's a lot of people who, having embraced the gospel, would be considered shameful by everybody around them. If you were a Muslim, you became a Christian. Uh, your life is clearly in jeopardy. And to stand up for the gospel would cost you everything. But I think we all have to be willing to embrace that possibility that the gospel is more important to us than anything else more important than our popularity, more important if our family rejects us because we become, become Christian, then we got to accept that eventuality that that could happen. And uh, should uh, the world uh, around us reject us, 
Some people have had to give up their jobs because of becoming Christian. Right? It happens. Some people In their lives? Fired. <laughs> <laughs> they get fired. Yeah. And their yeah, lives. you're always so quiet about it. You don't have to get a chance. I can hear you on the back and I'll leave a word to say. <laughs> Uh, skip John 20 and verse 17. Jesus said to her, Stop pointing to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father in your Father, my God in your God. There's the same terminology. My brethren, my God and your God, my Father and your Father. So that's the sense that we are one with Christ. We have a common Father. And so we're his brothers. The there's a great difference between uh, well, there's a great difference between Jesus and us as far as our relationship to God. Yeah. And I noticed that he says he doesn't say our God and our Father. What he does say is my God and your God. My Father and your Father. A great distinction between them. Because we're not sons of God by eternal uh,
Let's look at that yesterday. And he says, these ones are mine. Amen. I'm not ashamed to have these as my people. Isn't it interesting the pagan gods got into all sorts of yuck? And the people were doing it too. The pagan gods were more immoral than the people. <laughs> the pagan gods weren't very good at sanctifying. They were worse than the ones sinners. They did all kinds of nasty things. I'll talk about that too when I talk about Noah this morning in the sermon. That the pagan gods were... There's a pagan version of the, of the flood. this Gilgamesh. And it's quite different. I have a quote from William Lane. God is not ashamed to call their God. In 11.16, which we just were read, Norma read that, where the context is distinctly covenantal. The image of the family is appropriate in this context because the divine son identifies himself with the covenant family. He is able to achieve in others that perfect consecration to God that he himself embodies. The connection with verse 10 further suggests that the occasion when Jesus is not ashamed to call others his brothers is at the parousia, when God will lead many sons to glory. The de declaration anticipates the eschatological interest in the, of the redeemed community into the world to come. So he thinks that, that when he leads us to glory, we at that point are his brothers and he's not going to be ashamed of us. He's going to usher us into glory and into the presence of the Father. Then we can be one family with all the saints in the Old Testament and throughout church history. All who were ever redeemed will be a part of that. That entourage that's going to glory. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay. Yes, Dan. I like that part where the family's coming. And say, here comes your mother, brothers and sisters. And Jesus says, he who does the will of my father is my brother. But notice, my mother. So when I testify to Catholics, they're always emphasizing mother, mother, mother. I says, I have the quality of giving the gospel equivalent to Mary. Mary says, my soul doth magnify the Lord my Savior. So not only my Christ's brother, but I have the equivalency through the grace of God as a mother. To tell the equivalency to tell that gospel. On equal ground to tell the gospel with Mary. Because they got Mary, you got to go to Mary to get to Jesus to get to heaven. Well, I have equal ground with Mary by the gospel. Here comes he who does my father's will my brother, sister, and mother. So as a mother, in a sense, he testifying the same testimony as Mary for the gospel, because Mary would give the gospel. They go to Mary to get to Jesus. So sad. All the religions worshiping mother, 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 mother. No. It's the Abba Father. So, so you're, you're saying to the Catholics that you're on equal ground. Yes, to give the gospel. Because Mary says, what did she say? My soul doth magnify the Lord my Savior. So I can say with Mary, my soul doth... What about you? Mary, she could come here. I tell them that she slapped you in the face. We're not, giving the, we're not believing the gospel. So is Peter and the apostle. You think you offended these Yes, I do. <laughs> <laughs>
very interesting context. I like this verse. It comes as a citation from the Septuagint of Psalm 22:22. What's important about this context? Well, let's turn. Let's all turn to Psalm 22. Because this verse is the one where I see the resurrection prophesied in the Old Testament, the resurrection of Jesus. Uh, I won't read all of this, but look, we can just take some sections and see how Messianic Psalm 22 is. It starts out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Where did you hear that before? On the cross. And then we go on. Oh my God, I cry out, uh, but thou dost not answer. If thou art holy, we are enthroned on the praises of Israel. And then verse 6, I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of man, despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lip, wag their heads, saying, Commit yourself to the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, because he delights in you. Did they say that at, at the cross? Remember when they mocked Jesus? They said, if, uh, if, if God is really with him, then why doesn't he save him now? Remember that? So there it is, the prophecy right out of uh, Psalm 22, fulfilled on the cross. And then it goes on. Uh, verse 12, many bulls that shrouded me, strong bulls of Bashan that circled me. They opened their mouth like at me. Verse 14, I poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax and is melted with me. My strength is dried up. Verse 16, dogs have surrounded me. A band of evildoers encompassed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Did that ever happen to David? No. No, did they ever pierce David's hands and feet? So who is this about? Jesus. This is Jesus. This is a messianic prophecy, brothers. I can count all my bones. They look, they stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. When did that happen? Isn't this amazing? Does anybody not believe in Bible prophecy? <laughs> wow. And so that's him dying. That's Jesus being crucified. But look how this progresses. But thou, O Lord, be not far off. O thou, my help, hasten to my sisters. Deliver my soul from the sword. My only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild oxen. Now does answer me. So they, they crucify him and divide his garments. They mock him and saying that if God was with him, then God would save him from the cross. And they said they can't revere the Son of God and come down off of the cross. They won't believe you. They're willing to have a Savior as long as he's not crucified. And then look, then in the middle of this lament and all this sorrow, look what it says. I will tell of thy name to my brother, and in the midst of the assembly I will praise thee. Here we have now the resurrection. And the, the fact of Jesus dying and being raised again, and now he has his spiritual brothers, his sisters, that he's going to bring with him to glory. Notice they asked Jesus to come down from the cross, save himself, and then save them. Well, here's people's example of asking to be saved or not saved. They don't understand the context of the gospel. So I thank the people asking Jesus that is the resurrection and the flesh to save them. I mean, that's what's sad. Yeah. Jesus in your heart and not understanding that he, what he's done for you, he should. The yeah. gospel is the resurrection. understanding and resurrected in the flesh, what he's done for you. Yeah, we need to make it very clear. clear. Here's look at this, verse 27 and 29. And all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, 
and all the families of the nations will worship before thee, and the kingdom is the Lord's, and he rules over the nations. So here we have Psalm 22, the sufferings of Messiah, detailed prophecy about how he'll die, pierced his hands and his feet, the prophecy about the casting of lots, and then all of a sudden from this doleful lament, we come to the joy, I will tell my name to my brethren in the midst of, of, of the assembly, I'll praise you. So here you have the resurrection, and then you have the gospel in 27 through 29, where 27 through 28, where because of what happened, because of what happened through the Messiah, the ends of the earth, that is, the goy, or goyim, the heathen, come to Jesus because of his resurrection. And so you have the whole sort of a dynamic of, of the Messianic salvation laid out in prophecy in Psalm 22. And um, this is a remarkable one. And if you ever witnessed to Jewish people, Psalm 22 is a very important uh, prophecy to point out to, to Jewish people about the gospel. And so the point of it is all bringing many sons of glory that these sons, and the Hebrew generic idea of brethren and sons, you, you know, includes women. It's not, Amen. it's not just men. Amen. So the brethren are men and women. Okay. Sometimes there is a, sometimes he uses both, like the passage that, that uh, Tim read, my brothers and my sisters. But sometimes it's the generic brethren means all the people, including the, the ladies and men. And so this congregation of people drawn from amongst all the nations is, is going to glory with Jesus Christ, their sanctified ones. And so the author of Hebrews quotes Messianic Psalm 22 to prove that. Yes. One of the things about Psalm 22 is how it starts out. My God, my God, find himself to save me. Christ said that yep. from the cross. Yep. And what he was doing as a rabbi, as a teacher, was bringing everyone there to Psalm 22. And he's saying, pay attention here because it's unfolding right in front of you. Amen. I totally agree with that. How do the Jews get around the, they don't like these verses? Well, uh, they don't pay a whole lot of attention unless a Christian is enforcing it. That's like Isaiah 53. Uh, Isaiah 53 is another one. And Isaiah 42. And, uh, besides that, well, it just depends. It's just the blindness, the spiritual blindness. You don't, it, it's so clear, it'd be kind of hard to deny it. But that's our job in the gospel. To the Jew first, and also to the Gentile. That's the first people that should hear it. You can, by the way, uh, Brian is not here today, but talk to Brian Mears. He's, he's uh, Jewish, and he came to the Lord. Brian and Tammy, they come to church here. He has a very interesting testimony. And uh, he's a Messianic believer and very committed to the Lord. And, oh, i got to tell you a story about this. I got this from Jan Markell. I was talking to her the other night, and uh, we were talking about this radio ministry and some of the issues going on in the church and all the apostasy that's going on in the church. But anyhow, she was telling me a story about how some of these Messianic ministries are refusing to preach the gospel. And she's very upset. Jan is Jewish. Oh, she is? Yeah. yeah. Her dad was a rabbi who came to the Lord back in the 50s. And uh, so she told me the story. They were having this big thing over at this North Heights church for 
where they had all these Jewish merchants come in and was supposed to support Israel. And the people promoting it made a rule that nobody could tell any of the Jews about Jesus. And so, Jan uh, was telling me the story, and she said, one of the people who was from the church came up to one of the Jewish merchants and started saying, telling them about Jesus, and one of the authorities of the church came and stopped her and said, you can't do that. She said, I can't talk about Jesus in my own church. And they said, no, we're not only going to offend these people. So Jan found out about it. Yeah. And she does stuff at that church. So she called up the pastor and, and gave him all kinds of scriptures that he wouldn't listen to her. And he called up again, she called up again and gave some more scriptures about why you need to preach the gospel to the Jews. And they still wouldn't listen. They said, well, we don't want to offend anybody. So finally she got, she got exasperated in the, in the last ditch effort. She called up emotionally saying, well, I thank God that some Christian decided to offend my dad. My dad was a Jewish rabbi, and and somebody offended him by telling him the gospel, made him really angry. But he went home and started thinking about it, and it came to Jesus. He decided they were telling the truth, and she said, and because somebody offended my dad, he told me the gospel, and I came to Jesus. And he says, and she said, and if somebody had offended him, he'd be in hell right now, and it said he's, he's in heaven. And how, how dare you say, don't offend the Jews by telling the gospel? And then they called her back and said, well, we'll rethink our position. <laughs> and I, but I said to the chat, but you know what the sad thing is? I said, that's because they're charismatics. They don't care about what the scriptures say. They don't care about the stories. So you tell a story, they'll listen to a story. You tell the scripture, they don't even care about that. So her story is very compelling, but isn't the scripture more important than somebody's story? So Jan says, you know what, you're right, and it's so sad. It is so sad. It breaks my heart. But guess what? It doesn't, you can't take the offense out of the gospel. No. You talk to Brian Mears and ask him whether he's glad somebody offended him one time by telling him about Jesus Christ. I remember uh, Carolyn Christensen, God bless her, a wonderful, you know Carolyn? She's a wonderful witness for Jesus Christ. Diane was sitting here, we had an outreach last winter, Right here, and these three Jewish young ladies came in. Their college students sat right up here in the front, listening to the concert. And Jan, or I mean, uh, Carolyn Christensen sits down with them, and she says, "Let me tell you about Jesus Christ." And she shares the gospel. And as she was sharing it, and the only reason I know this story is because Diane was sitting right there listening to the whole thing. Is uh, these Jewish young ladies said, "Well, I got to ask you a question." Are you telling me that if I don't repent and believe in Jesus as the Messiah, that I'm going to go to hell? And Carolyn says, yes. <laughs> That's what I'm telling you. And these young ladies said, okay, I just want to make sure we wanted to understand. I guess we've got a lot to think about. But God bless Carolyn for not watering down the gospel. God bless Carolyn Christensen. And the Jan Markells of the world. Jan is willing to defend everybody. She goes on the radio and defends everybody. <laughs> Tells them the gospel. Well, Pastor, how can he, like a few years back, Pat Robertson, all the white evangelicals in Colorado Springs had a big convention and they signed an agreement 
Not the proselytes. How can I get up on Sunday morning, preach about this Jesus Christ, the Savior, the next minute being these evangelicals that know better, signing, they've got to sign something not to give the gospel? I mean, that'd be a shame, isn't it? That's what John says. Isn't that being a shame that God, one minute you can say it from the friendly territory, you know, the constituency in church, but the enemy, uh, uh, that are the enemies of the cross, you can't tell them the gospel. Sign agreement to it. I don't understand it. Yeah, there's a good book, another book by MacArthur called The Shame of the Gospel that people maybe ought to read too. Okay, well, Psalm 111, verse 1. Now, Sam, could you read Psalm 111, verse 1? Praise ye the Lord, I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. Praise the Lord in the assembly of the upright. <laughs> That's a good thing to do. Amen. Verse 13, Hebrews 2. And again, another citation. This is from Isaiah 8, 17 and 18. I will put my trust in him, and again, behold, I am the children of whom God has given me. Here's a... The, yes? Okay, now I, I don't need the passage from Isaiah. Okay, Isaiah 8. Yeah, go ahead, read it. I think um, before we read it, in the context of the first part of Hebrews, we think... Before that, spoke of prophets in many ways, yeah. the fact of the angels, yeah. that comes here, yeah, and it says, Find up the testimony and seal the law among my disciples, and I will wait for the Lord, deciding his face in the house of Jacob. I will even look eagerly for him. Behold, I and the children whom the Lord has given me are for signs and wonders in Israel. And the Lord hosts dwells among signs. And when they say to you, consult the mediums, conspiracists, whisper and mutter, should not a people consult their God? Should they consult the dead on behalf of the living, to the law of the testimony? If they do not speak according to this word, it's because they have no God. That's the context of that. Wow. So they're, they're going to mediums and spiritists. It's the, it's the God. God. Yeah, it's the objective word in Hebrew that he's pointing to, yeah. compared to the non, to the subject of where the people were looking to. By the way, it's a good passage to remember because it, it, people say, well, what's wrong with, with talking, going to a medium and finding out what, what my dad uncle has to say? Well, there's your passage. Should they consult the dead? Page 16, page yes. 19. Yes. Yeah. There is a prohibition of necromancy right there. You can't, you can't consult the dead on behalf of the living. You know, we got Christian prophets doing this. Consider the whole context of Hebrews of this thing. This is what the objective word is. The word came down from heaven. Don't listen to the angels. The angels want to look into this. This is what God's son gave. Here's this laying the foundation against the spiritistic type of The subjective personal revelation. So here we have the objective word of God. Those into necromancy are not contacting the dead. They're contacting demons. I agree. And these demons know certain things, and they, they, they gain credibility. But Brian, you can ask Brian Flynn about that. Uh, he used to do that stuff before he got saved in our conference. He's going to talk about that. Yes? This uh, second meditation here, again, supporting uh, the statement, Brady Nash, Paul's Yeah. Why does uh, he. Uh, uh, Go out to my 
the, the context, by the way, is in, in Isaiah, it seems to be talking about Isaiah, and Hebrews is talking about Jesus. So that's the first issue we've got to address. And the way I understand it is that Isaiah, in a sense, is a type of Christ. Right. He's in a sense a forerunner. And, uh, and what was true about Isaiah, that he was going to put his trust in God in the midst of afflictions. And therefore we have a spokesperson to a people that didn't want to listen to him. We have later Jesus fulfilling this role. But I think even when the context of this wrote it was read, God is giving his face, and Isaiah was saying, wait patiently until he reveals it, and look, at, look for his face, even if you don't see it now, on the testimony, and don't go to mediums and spiritists. Right. So even in the context of Hebrews, don't look at these other subjective things, look at Christ and give us and don't be ashamed of that even if you don't have a spiritistic kind of thing. Right, I agree. Uh, here, let me read what William Lane says about this. The form of the text agrees with the Septuagint. The origin, in its original context, the passage describes the prophet Isaiah's children and his disciples who constituted a faithful remnant, remnant, remnant in that day. There is a distinct parallel between the series of Isaiah and of Jesus that made the quotation appropriate at this point. The prophet was persecuted and rejected by the people, but he became a rallying point for faith. Jesus is now the representative head of a new humanity was being led to glory through suffering. So there's sort of a, a typological analogy uh, between Isaiah and Jesus. And so Jesus is also afflicted, puts his trust in God, like Psalm 22, and he leads children to glory. So there's your analogy. Um, how do you even approach someone that is so into that that they think that they're doing the right thing? Well, Jesus told his disciples that people will kill them and think they're doing God a favor. And most people, if they're sincere at all, think that they're right and they think they're doing the right thing. It's just human nature. In other words, if you are a devoted Mormon, you think you're pleasing God by being a Mormon. If you're a devoted Catholic, you think you're pleasing God. If you're a devoted Jew, uh, Jew yeah, Jewish um, uh, believer in uh, just the Old Testament, covenant, covenant without Messiah, or if you're a devoted Muslim, whoever you may be, you think that you're serving God. That's why they're doing it. And so you have to point out that it's not the way it is. Sam? I, I think the question, my, my response to her question is very, very, very basic. It's just to see see uh, you do that things done. And, and I did that with my mother. I went out as a, as a relatively new Christian. I was really on fire, and I invented her. But just last week, and I this past week, and I talked to her. He said, "I remember the things you told me. It's not that I don't believe it. I remember the things you told me." So I, I, I have to start, you know, just by planting a seed. If it's very difficult to talk to somebody, but you talk to demons. Because so, she's she's into the stuff of the um the signs that you're with. So yeah. Zodiac, and then she came and she had more years to her, she was a teenager. And I saw that she was, her son was a teenager. You're talking about a Zodiac? Zodiac. Yeah. I've talked to people that were doing that when I used to be a 
when I was in Bible college and I had a job and people come around with this astrology and what side are you? And I heard a good line from a preacher one time and I always use this. And I said, he basically, this preacher said, why, why look to the stars when you can actually know the one who made the stars? Amen. <laughs> so you're not looking far enough. The stars are just created things, you know. And uh, so they're looking to the stars and say, you know, you're not really getting any good information from these stars. Let me tell you about Jesus. <laughs> he created the stars. Use it as an opportunity to witness. Okay, uh, Doris, you got a Bible there? Okay. Uh, Psalm 36, 7 and 8, and Noel, Isaiah 12, 2. Okay. Psalm 
That's true. We're going to talk about that in the next verse, but the power, the fear of death, the power of death. The meaning of the spirit is mutter, whisper, and mutter. And it, uh, well, I think it's very clear that we're dependent on God for spiritual information. Anything beyond that is divination. And there's no technique got an email from a CIC reader who was going to confront some people in a church that were bringing in a guy named Manning who teaches people how to get into an altered state of consciousness and then hear God's voice. And she says, it's unbelievable that you can't get anywhere. She talked to all these people. They think that they all think she's nuts. And why can't we do this? Well, you, there's no technique that you can invoke to make God speak to you. He has spoken. Okay. And, and uh, you can't get into, you know, learn how to get into some alpha brainwave state that you're going to hear God. You'll hear something probably. But it'll be a delusion. Before uh, we dedicated my life to the Lord some 15, 20 years ago, I was involved in hypnotism. Okay. And uh, supposedly I learned my best in Hollywood But during the classes I took, uh, it was quite interesting. But I'll guarantee you this, when you get into the altered states of consciousness, it opens, opens the door to the Satan itself. Yes, I, you're right, Dean. And, uh, I, when I was teaching on the Theophosics, the, the, the lady that came there who had allowed that to happen. She went to this Christian counselor that put her into an altered state using eye movement where you go boom, 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 you know, get you a god of your conscious mind. And she started having all kinds of demonic manifestations after the Christian counselor started working with her. Um, and I'll tell you what, the best thing to do is stay in your right mind. Highly recommend have a solid mind. And uh, you, there, there's a big temptation to try to con- have these spirit, this contacting spirits, but it's forbidden. It's forbidden. And Christian versions of it are just as dangerous as not Christian, but not more so. And that's what we're going to talk about on February 28th with Brian Flynn and, and myself. Well, let's just introduce this verse here. Children share in flesh and blood. Now, in the Greek, the word blood is first. Blood and flesh, which is not your common order, but it's talking about us being a relative because of the blood of Jesus. He himself likewise partook of the same. The I don't know. Think of that. He partakes of flesh and blood, so that he, in other words, it's human nature that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil. So Jesus is the one who is bringing many sons of glory. He defeats the foe on behalf of his people, which is an Old Testament motif that we'll be looking at next week. And the big problem that the human race cannot resolve is death. And I think a lot of the delusions that are out there in the world right now, for instance, we're talking about these, the necromancy. One of the things that this one of the delusions that's being promoted to keep people from the gospel 
is that when they go to these spiritists in order to talk to their dead relatives, they get reassured that everything's okay. All right? In other words, these people didn't know God. They're now dead. And nobody's ever going to go to a spiritist and then the thing comes back and says, I'm in hell, repent. <laughs> You know, uh, they, they never hear that. They 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 get this. Uh, they get these reassuring messages, uh, and the demons know things about the past, and so they can know things to make it real. The demons will actually give information about whoever you're trying to contact, what he used to like, and things like that that the spiritists couldn't know. So that's why people believe in it. And they're getting reassured. Oh, everything's fine, and we'll be, you'll soon be joining me when you come. And this is a wonderful place of peace and life. And the person wasn't saved. And so, what's that doing to the gospel? It's deluding people. I know a person that I have talked to her for about twenty years because I just haven't seen her, who had a one of these near-death experiences. She was in a car wreck. Her heart stopped. She was. Yeah, and later resuscitated, and she was and she was not saved. And when she had an experience, she had the same thing a lot of people say. She saw peace and light, and this everything was beautiful and wonderful, and she wouldn't want to go back. And then she came back later, met Christ, and so was thinking back on that. And she says, you know, after I met Christ, and I realized that had I not been brought back, and later saved that I would have gone to hell, I think that that was a demonic experience to delude me into thinking everything's okay without the gospel. So there's, there's a whole book on this idea, yeah, and things that yeah. a whole bunch of people experience yeah. that you would interpret as That's what she thinks. It was a deception. That, that she had this experience that made her think that she didn't need Christ. That all you have to do is just be human and then you go into this better place. And she said it was a deception and later she got saved and knew that, that that's not what it would have been. Yeah. They just, they're being deluded and they think they don't need the gospel. There are just too many stories, too many stories that have that even come. Yeah, they all have the same experience, but I think it's a deception. Yeah. That's what she said. Anyhow, that her name was Martha Bingster. I don't know. It was somebody I knew from Love Life. Maybe they still know her over there. But anyhow, that was a very interesting story. So you can't trust all these experiences. What you can trust is the, the fact that Jesus died and was raised again from the dead, objectively, bodily, and then we can put our trust in him. All these deluding things will make you feel good, but they won't lead you to the gospel. Because once you get into that realm of uh, the whatever you call it, alter state of consciousness realm where you're contacting spirits, you're, uh, you're in a realm where you're not prepared. These things are very clever. They've been around for thousands of years and they don't know how to give you a good experience. And, uh, but the gospel is where you have a solid ground and stand that you hold. Amen. So put your faith in God through the gospel. God bless you.